Hello, welcome to the Pondercast, where it's okay to think differently about the Bible and theology. Let's get pondering. Hello and welcome back to the Pondercast. My name is Perry Siddons, and as always, I'm glad that you've joined me. Uh, I'm alone this week. My wonderful co-host, Drew Petker, could not join me. Uh, life is a bit busier for him these days, uh, seeing as he's uh, a new foster parent, uh, him and his wife, and there are all sorts of life changes coming up, so he was a bit busy uh, and didn't have time to prepare, and that's okay. Uh, I can do this by myself. <laughs> First time trying this out, trying an episode by myself, and we'll see how it goes. I hope you're all doing well as we're ending uh, September here and, and going into October, enjoying this beautiful fall with all the beautiful fall colors, uh, seeing the tree. It's kind of sad. I, I love fall. I love that it's cooling down, uh, but it's sad when the leaves are falling off because that is a sign of things to come, and I don't like the things to come. But here we are. Uh, I just got back from Texas Yesterday, I was in Dallas for a conference for a few days. My flight got cancelled on Wednesday. I was going to try and make it out for Wednesday because the conference started on uh, on Thursday afternoon. And being in Saskatoon, trying to get to Dallas is a bit of a rigmarole. at the flight to Toronto and all that. So thankfully, I made it, missed Thursday, got there for Friday. It was uh, called Radical Vocation, being held at the Church of the Incarnation in the Episcopal Church. Uh, if you didn't know, I'm Anglican, <laughs> uh, seeking ordination. Uh, well, anyways, discerning thinking, and that's what the conference is about, is for those discerning uh, discerning ordination in the Anglican world, not necessarily just Episcopal, uh, which, is the, which is the mainline Anglican church in the U.S. It could be uh, all sorts of bodies. Everybody was welcome, and there was great speakers, uh, great wor- times of worship. My goodness, it was beautiful, beautiful church, one of the biggest Episcopal churches in the United States, and it was absolutely wonderful to be there. About 200-some people, uh, getting to know people, and being in the huge metropolis of Dallas-Fort Worth, uh, that was really interesting, and trying not to get covid so glad to be back. Uh, glad that I was able to participate in that, learn some things, met some great people, um, and just an overall good experience. This week, we're going to talk about the big picture of the scriptures, God's grand plan of redemption. This is what the Bible is all about. This is this is what we call biblical theology. Uh, it kind of, this, that, that term is to, uh, distinguish from systematic theology. Uh, so we have biblical theology, systematic, and all sorts of other different ways of thinking about theology. But when we talk about biblical theology, well, one of the ways, one of the things that we mean when we talk about biblical theology is tracing a theme from Genesis to Revelation, letting the text really speak for itself, whereas systematic theology, we're, we're, we're still letting the scriptures speak for themselves, but we're actually looking at verses and, and formulating a theological uh, category. We're systematizing the scriptures in a way. And, and in a sense, 
that can take away from what the scriptures are trying to say to us, but it's also really helpful in categorizing and making it more accessible uh, because we don't always have the time. If we want to know, if you want to understand justification uh, in the Bible, you don't necessarily have the time to go from Genesis to Revelation. And there's all sorts of ways to think about justification, and that's where systematic uh, systematic theology comes in, where there's people debating what the Bible is saying about justification, whereas biblical theology is... What is prayer uh, from Genesis to Revelation? Or think about the temple. Uh, that's one of my favorite ways of, biblo- of doing biblical theologies. How is the temple revealed? How is it progressively revealed? That's the, that's the big thing about pr- biblical theology is how is something being progressively revealed from Genesis to Revelation? And there's all sorts of themes. There's all sorts of books written on biblical theology. Biblical theology is, again, letting the text speak for itself. We're letting it reveal something to us. We're letting God reveal uh, the way that he has undertook this plan. Uh, Thinking about uh, biblical theology of God. How does God reveal himself from Genesis to Revelation? You can do biblical theology with... uh, the book of Matthew, say, you want to know, again, prayer. Uh, you go from Matthew 1 to Matthew 28, looking at uh, the prayers of the Pharisees, looking at the prayers of the disciples, looking at the prayers of Jesus, and uh, and, and trying to get that, what is, how does Matthew think about prayer? That that can be a particular way that you, you study the scriptures, or uh, how does Ephesians think about the person of Christ, the work of Christ? Uh what does uh, Hebrews think about the Holy Spirit? Um, in a way, I did this a little bit, a, a little bit of a biblical theology, a little bit of both. I did a, some uh, some research, a paper on the heavenly realms within Hebrews, letting it show me, letting letting it speak for itself what the heavenly realms is, whereas systematic theology says, what does the whole Bible say? Uh, and let's try to craft something out of that and try to understand what the, uh, what the heavenly realms is. And there's a bit, and there's a huge emphasis on, on philosophy within systematic theology as well, because we can't, we don't come to the explicit conclusions of a orthodox view of the Trinity Unless, uh, apart, pardon me, apart from systematic theology, but it, but it does not contradict what the Bible says. The Bible is clear that God exists as three persons in one God, but we don't come to that conclusion unless we have the language that comes with Greek philosophy, and 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 so philosophy helps us to understand some of these biblical categories. So they both have their place. I think biblical theology is so so important, and I don't think we can do systematic theology without having a good understanding of the big picture of the scriptures. So we want to do that in the next 25 minutes is a big bird eye view really is what we're doing. Uh, In 25 minutes trying to understand the big picture of the scriptures. This is what the Bible Project does. Uh, So if if you want to keep going with this kind of thing, look at the Bible Project. They're doing so such good work. Uh, their theme, their, their motto is 
The whole scriptures point to Jesus. So they're trying to say, look at how, let the whole scripture speak for themselves and how it all points in the one trajectory. So this is going to be a basic introduction. And there's all sorts of ways that we could go about this. Uh, we could, like I said earlier, we could talk about the temple and how it's progressively understood from Genesis to Revelation. That might be a fun episode to do. If anybody's interested, let me know of of the of God building His temple from the garden, uh, and then um, and how that's reflected again in the permanent. Uh, well, we have the the structure of the tabernacle, and then the permanent structure of the temple, and then He is the temple. And he brings together his people to make a temple. And then Revelation is kind of a reflection of Genesis as well. But one thing I do want to note is that I, uh, when I first learned this a few years ago, this is, this is part of the first course I took when I went to Bible college, and it just revolutionized uh, my Bible reading is understanding this big picture of the scriptures, seeing that there is a big story here, seeing that everything is working together, it really helps uh, my Bible reading. Because when I read something in the New Testament, I'm understanding that they're writing in light of what is taking place in Jesus as the fulfillment of the Old Testament. So it really helps me to understand, uh, the, the, to see the big picture when I'm reading the Bible. To, to try and think about, okay, how do I understand this in light of Jesus, in light of what he's done, and how that fulfills the Old Testament. And so it's it's the constant study of what does the Old Testament say? Uh, and what is, what is the Old Testament pointing toward? And how do we find, how is that being fulfilled in the New Testament? So letting, like the big part of biblical theology is letting the New Testament interpret the Old Testament, saying, what is the what is how is the New Testament understanding the Old Testament now the the fulfillment it's a fulfillment of the Old Testament. So I honestly think that we got to get a grasp on this bird eye view and then really dig into it. Uh, it's just awesome. It's it's wonderful. And there's a new commentary series from Zondervan called "The Story of God Bible Commentary." It's uh, it's meant for people in uh, for lay people. Uh, people who are not academic, though it is a little technical, and by what by that I mean they they do dig into the Greek a little bit, but they're not trying to get lost in it. They try to make that all accessible. Uh, so it's a good combination, I think, of technical, um, but also grounding it in the point of the book, in the books, in the series purpose, which is uh, showing how this particular book of the Bible is grounded in the story of God. So they have a commentary for each uh, book of the Bible. And uh, so I will recommend that to you. Let's get started. We'll start in Genesis 1, where it all begins, this big story. I'm, I'm going to say it's the Bible's big story of redemption. This is what I, or salvation, because there's just so much here that I cannot touch on every uh on every theme that we could from Genesis 1. So the big thing that I want to start with is that God's desire to be with his people. He wants to be in relationship with his people. Uh, not that he needs people. He doesn't need anybody. Uh, 
but he wants to. He wants to give his love. He wants to pour out his love. And he makes these people, and he wants to be in, in communion with them, in union, in harmony, in a relationship. And he builds this garden, and he creates a man and a woman. He makes human beings, and he says, you will be in my image. And he says, take care of the garden. Now, if we want to think about it like this, he creates a house, in a way. And in that house, there's a zoo. And there's a, there's a garden. Yes, there's a, that's, what, that's what Genesis 1, uh, that's what the first few chapters say, that there's this garden. But we want to think about it as he's giving them this house to live in. And they are to take care of what he's given them. He says, have dominion. Take care of what I've given you. Treat the things that I've given you the way that I treat you, is uh, what we the sense that we get here in Genesis one, and and they are to tend for this house, tend for this garden, and and have children. He says, be fruitful and multiply, have children, and help them tend this garden with you. So we we get that uh, foundation. This wonderful garden, this perfect union with God, and of course we know this is, I think, one of the most famous stories in the world, probably, uh, the the fall of man, where they have the test of obedience, and it's a prohibition of eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He says, eat from the abundance of everything else, except for the tree of knowledge of good and evil, lest you die. It's a test of obedience. And there is a an implicit promise that if they obey, they will continue to be in this perfect relationship. Uh, there's an implicit promise that things will go well for them. Be, in light of, vis-a-vis, <laughs> the explicit, uh, um, what, what do I, not promise, but that's the only word I can think. It's not a good word. The, the explicit promise, uh, pledge, that if they do eat from the tree, they will die. And of course, we know this, this serpent, this talking serpent, who we know to be Satan, or one of Satan's agents, approaches the, man, or the woman and convinces her to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And she eats and she gives it to her husband and they both eat. And uh, they don't physically die which shows us that what God means is a spiritual death because what happens is that they're exiled from the garden. So this is a theme that we want to continue to trace is God's desire to be with his people, the test of obedience, and exile. It's a major theme throughout the Bible. Um, we, go in, uh, we, we go to Abraham. So... Well, let's, pardon me, let's backtrack first. Because there's a promise. There's a promise before they're exiled. And that is that there'll be enmity between Eve's seed and the seed of the serpent. There'll be enmity between the seed of Eve and the seed of the serpent. But uh, it says that a seed, uh, uh, pardon me, Eve's seed will crush the serpent's head. Uh, the serpent will bite 
his heel, something like that. But Eve's seed will crush his head. So there's a promise here of destruction. Uh, there's this implicit, implicit promise of God doing something. They're exiled. It's a spiritual death, spiritual brokenness, this enmity between God and human beings because they broke, uh, uh, pardon me, they, they were not obedient. They, they uh, went against the pledge that they made. They, uh, they abandoned God, in a sense. Okay, so this promise... Uh, how does the promise uh, come through? Well, we have Abraham. We're we're gonna skip some things. Uh, there's there's other things that we could talk about. Like there's no there's all these things that are important, but we don't we need to get through this very quickly. <laughs> uh, we have Abraham, uh, who is chosen, and uh, there's the promise that he will be a blessing to all nations, and his offspring, his seed, will be a promise to all nation, uh, a blessing to all nations. God promises to Abraham's offspring, to his seed, a land to live in. This is important for later. But there's this element here that Abraham's offspring, the seed, that, that's an important word there, seed. Uh, it's important later in the New Testament because the New Testament interprets that as singular seed in Galatians. But there's this seed, the offspring. Abraham's children will be... A blessing to the world. That's uh, that. That's the point of this call. Is God is going to bring this promise about to destroy this serpent, to destroy him and his ways. Um, and so uh, we we want to we want to latch onto that promise that is made to Abraham, the promise of uh, of offspring to be a blessing to all nations. To, t- to take a land for themselves. Uh, and so later we move into, there's so much stuff here that we could talk about, but we got to keep going. We have the Exodus, uh, where, where Abraham's children, this nation, they are freed from the grips of Pharaoh in Egypt. They're brought out of Exodus. They're given the land that was promised to Abraham. And they're in this land. And God is in the midst of them. He is with them. So even here, we can't get away from this temple imagery that was originally in the garden. It's important to the theme here, but what I'm emphasizing is that God is with his people there in the midst of them. And he also gives them uh, uh, a test of obedience, just like he, he did when they when Adam and Eve were in the garden. There's still this level of, are you going to show your allegiance to me? And so he gives them the law, and he says, you will be blessed if you do this, you'll be cursed if you don't. Um, and, and, and so we get to the book of Judges, and I think we see this quite well, where they sin, they go and worship other gods, and and God allows foreign nations to come in, take them over, and, and, they, and they cry out to God. They say, Lord, rescue us, and he saves them. He raises up a judge, a general. He saves them, and they... And then they go back into worshiping false gods. It's this continual cycle of worshiping false gods, uh, crying out, um, pardon me, worshiping false gods, being exiled in a sense, foreign nations taking over, crying out, being rescued, going to false gods, being taken over, crying out, being rescued. This is continual cycle. 
from judges to the prophets, because the prophets are still crying out to this nation, saying, what? God is crying out to you. Come back. Come back. It's not too late. Come back. If you stop, he will have mercy on you. But if you don't, there will be major consequences for your actions. But before that, uh, there's the king. And this is part of Abraham's seed. And Israel is supposed to be this blessing to the nations. And even, even this king is to be a blessing to the nations. To the king is promised a son who will have an everlasting, uh, pardon me, who will forever, who will uh, sit on, uh, what am I trying to say? He, Solomon's, I think it was Solomon's son, will have an everlasting throne. On, on Solomon's throne. He will sit forever on Solomon's throne. So this promise is continue, uh, it's progressively being revealed what this looks like uh, because of what we know in the New Testament, that this promise of the serpent stomping on, uh, pardon me, jeez, uh, uh, that Eve's seed would stomp on the serpent's head is the same seed that would be a blessing to all nations. The offspring that would be a blessing to all nations is the same son that would sit on Solomon's throne forever. So this promise is continuing on. But there's that uh, hiccup in the plan. There's a bit of a, a, a roadblock. Something goes wrong where the people continue to sin. The nation of Israel, God's beloved, they continue to sin. And what was the what was that that's thing that's... God said, I will curse you if you do not follow my commandments. It's a test of obedience. It's a prohibition from doing the, from acting out of God's, uh, acting unlike God's character. He desires that his people live like he would follow his ways. And uh, they get exiled. They are, ta- they are shipped off to another nation. The nation is laid bare, this beautiful place. He leaves the temple, and he no longer is with them. And so we sometimes think, well, what happened? Uh, You know, but we have the rest of the story. Because a lot of them are allowed to go back to the nation, but it's never the same. There really never is a return from exile, because we have the Maccabees, we have all that intertestamental period stuff, where... Foreign nations continue to take over the nation of Israel, and they never really have an independent nation or their own king to the glo- a king, as in the glory days of David. They're always under somebody else, so they never really return from exile. But God has promised this seed, and He desires to be with His people, so He brings them back because He says He will. Uh, and so we have Jesus who comes on the scene. Uh, who is God's son, as we know. And he is the fulfillment of the promise to Eve, the fulfillment of the promise to Abraham, and the fulfillment of the promise to David. He is the seed that would crush the serpent's head. Look at the beginning of Matthew. Look at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, where he's going into the desert. And there's so much imagery there that has to... Oh, it's, it's wonderful. It'd be great to do an episode on some of that. Well, maybe we did in that episode on Matthew, but... Where Jesus is, the, the his identity is uh, 
the identity of Israel is being recapitulated upon Jesus, particularly at the beginning of Matthew, just wonderfully at the beginning of Matthew, where he is the new Israel, uh, but he's being tempted by Satan. And uh, there we have a test of obedience, and he is obedient. And so he continues on this ministry uh, of doing God's will, being like God, healing people, uh, loving people. This is God's will. This is what it means to be God. And this is, this, is, this is what he desired from the beginning. And he is a blessing to all nations. We see that in the Gospel of John when he goes to Samaria. Jews weren't supposed to be with some. There was this tension between Jews and Samaritans for various reasons. Um, but he goes to Samaria and he's preaching the gospel. He's doing great things in Samaria. So he's going, this is, this is a picture, this is a microcosm, if you will, of the bigger microcosm. This is a smaller picture of what Jesus is, going, is planning to do later on, to be a blessing to all nations. Um, and so he continues this um, this this journey of loving people, being like God, and he is God himself. Uh, God himself. Pardon me. He is God as well. We see that in John. Uh, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, uh, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And this was this is Jesus. He became flesh and dwelt among us. He became uh, human. God became a human. To tabernacle is what it says in the Greek. Um, okay, so this is great. But Jesus is still on a mission. His ultimate mission is to be obedient to the Father's will, to crush the serpent's head. And this is by way of the cross. So Jesus goes to the cross, even though there's that... There, I think it happened all throughout his ministry, but particularly on the night that he was handed over to death, uh, and we say a death that he freely accepted, which is true, because he was being obedient to the Father's will. But on the night he was handed over, he was in the garden praying, and he's he's uh, just bleed, uh, sweating blood. It's horrible. And he says, Lord, take this cup away from me, but not my will, but yours will be done. This is the prayer for that, that Adam and Eve should have prayed at the beginning. But Jesus prays it here in the garden. And that is not insignificant that it's in a garden. <clears throat> because this is a recapitulation of the original uh, Garden of Eden. Where Jesus is in the garden and he has a task ahead of him. And he'd rather give in to the temptation of not doing it. Of not taking a brutal death. But he goes anyways. He's obedient. And through that, we read in Colossians that this is how he triumphed over sin and death. This is, go back to our Christus Victor episode. Uh, we're talking about this. This is how he crushed a serpent's head. Well, what about this idea of being, uh, <clears throat> of, of David's throne? Well, he ascends. And he, it says in Acts that he is seated at the right hand of God. That's language of, of, of having a throne. He takes his throne. He deserved it. He is rewarded for his perfect obedience. There's a reward for perfect obedience, and he takes it. Uh, and so he sits on David's throne. And now 
<clears throat> with his disciples, he says, go to the ends of the earth preaching the good news. This is how <clears throat> Christians are now to be the blessing to all nations, to go into the world, to do what was meant in the beginning, to be like God and to spread that message all over the world. Um, and uh, and so, uh, are, is this over? Well, no, because we have the book of Revelation. And, and there's this fact that God is patient, but there will be a time when uh, it's no when it's too late. So right now, in this in-between time, in between the ascension and the coming back of Jesus is the time where it's time to be obedient to the call of the gospel. Um, and those who are obedient will be rewarded. Uh rewarded based on the blood of Jesus, the blood of the Lamb, not really because of their obedience, but because of the obedience of Jesus. But they appropriate that for themselves. But there's this call that every single human being needs to turn their life over to to, to repent, to become a follower of Christ. And at the end of the book of Revelation, I'm just going to go there and uh, <clears throat> and read it. Because it says, uh, the, you know, it just is really taking language of Genesis. And it's just quite wonderful. Uh, the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire. Uh, so his, this is his demise. Here we go. Blessed are those who wash their robes. This is 22 for 14. So that they may have the right to the tree of life. I mean, that's wonderful. Those who appropriate the blood of the lamb. And that they may have life. This is the tree of life. This is from the Garden of Eden. This was the. This is what they were t going to be able to have. If they were obedient. Was the tree of life. Was to have everlasting life with God. And those who appropriate the blood of the Lamb. Get the right. That we are qualified to be children of light. Paul says in Colossians. But this is at the end. And that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. There is this sense of inclusion and exclusion, uh, but it goes back to the theme of exile and a return from exile for those who have washed their robes. You know, there's something I forgot to mention. Oh, and it kind of loses its power now that I've heard to say it. But Jesus was exiled on our behalf. Where he cries out from the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is language of exile. So he was exiled on our behalf. This goes back to our atonement theory series. That God, uh, pardon me, Jesus was exiled on our behalf. So that those who are in Christ, who have washed their robes, who turn their life to the Lord, do, do not face that exile. Like that's what exile is pointing toward, is everlasting death. And so it is the time of salvation. It is the time to become part of God's story right now. This is It's just wonderful. I love this, uh, thinking about this grand story. And there's so much more that we could talk about. In this, in God's grand story of redemption, where they were exiled, but there's a promise, and and Jesus fulfilled that promise, so that we, that so that God 
and his people can be together forever, just the way he wants it, uh, that he was exiled in our place. And he received David's uh, and Solomon's everlasting throne. That was quite awesome <laughs> to see that. And I, it just really helps in our understanding of reading scripture. And I hope that helps. Um, again, if you want to hear some other themes, uh, I, I'd be happy to do that for you. Hopefully next week. Last week I said we we're, were going to continue on with our atonement series and I hope that we will be able to continue on next week with Moral Influence. This was a bit of a break, uh, so we will continue on, Lord willing, uh, with our series on the Atonement. Thanks again for listening. Glad that you could be with me today. It's just so good to open the Scriptures with you and, and help you in understanding uh, the Scriptures. Uh, it's just so important that we know... The, the book that we have in front of us, that is given to us, uh, and to be shaped, uh, formed, and to have a good biblical worldview, and to know what it means to be a Christian today. That's, uh, that, that's, a, that's a huge part. Being part of God's story today, of being a blessing to all nations, and the scriptures show us how to do it, but it's also sacramental in that it forms us the word, the Holy Spirit brings the word into us, into our minds, into our hearts, to renew our mind, to transform us, to make him, to make us like him. And this is part of God's story. So when you read and you see some of this stuff, like in Ephesians where it talks about we're being made back into the image of God, that is part of being God, God's story. <sighs> All right. Please rate and review wherever you listen to your podcast. We do appreciate that. Share this with friends, with family, with colleagues. Uh, this might be a good episode for somebody thinking about Christianity. What does this all mean? This is a good, quick, 30-minute primer. Uh, and I hope that it can be helpful to them. So, until next week, keep pondering.